but a really good place to start is if a team member is frustrating you, assume that it's something that you did. Welcome to Authority Issues, a podcast about leadership, management, and how people, people are the problem. I'm yes, Rachel Perkins, aka Pie or Pie Bob. I'm into words, operations, cheese, and whiskey, and of course, leadership. And I'm Kendall Miller. Rachel says that I might be a mite oversubscribed okay. at this moment. A mite oversubscribed. Yes, totally. Uh, and today on the show, we're talking with Kate Taggart, Engineering Manager at HashiCorp. Hi, Kate. Hi, Rachel. Nice to meet you. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, you bet. Let's just dive right in. Uh, can you tell us about your path to leadership to where you are today? Yeah, sure. Um, so I, uh, when I uh, left college, I had studied applied math and I landed a job working at uh, Wolfram Research. It's a mathematical software company. So I hadn't really intended to go into programming. I just kind of fell into it and turned out uh, I, that I really loved it. Um, so I, I worked as a software developer for a little over five years um, and then got kind of tired with what I felt was um, like just kind of being stimmied in my career, thanks to just lots of little instances of bias building up over time. Uh, so I, I left tech for a little while um, and was self-employed as a math and physics tutor for about a year. Um, but at, at, at that time, I was planning on moving to, to Portland, Oregon anyway, um, and was kind of missing working like with a team. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go back into to tech. Um, but this time when I come back, I want to make sure that I'm going to a, a really good place where I feel like, um, you know, I'm actually like recognized for my work. Right. So um, I searched a bunch of Oregon best places to work lists. I uh, was looking at the job postings on New Relic's website and uh, was, was just looking for software engineering roles at the time. Uh, and one of the postings that they had was actually for a management position where they said explicitly that uh, formal management experience wasn't required for this role, just so long as you had been a, a tech lead in the past. And uh, when I read that posting, it struck me. I was like, well, if I'm coming back into tech, I suppose maybe I could come back into a management role and be the change that I want to see, right? Like help create environments where people can do their best work and, and be recognized for it. So I was like, okay, like I'll, I'll apply for this role, I guess. Uh, it was, uh, I was surprised that they even flew me out for, for a team interview, never mind ended up hiring me. Uh, it was probably the least nervous I've ever been for an interview because I was like, like, there's no way, right? You're like, uh, yo, exactly. <laughs> that's the best yeah, exactly. place to be. Yeah. 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 I mean, turns out that's a pretty effective way to interview. It's when you're just like, <laughs> I'm not getting this job. I'll just be myself. Who knows? Um, so, yeah. So that uh, turned out to work out. And so uh, about a month later, I was starting at New Relic as an engineering manager. I didn't have any idea what I was getting myself into. I didn't really have any um, like peers who had gone into management beforehand. Uh, so I just started voraciously reading books and blogs uh, in order to make sure that I wasn't about to like foist my inexperienced self upon, up, upon a poor team that would suffer for my inexperience. So um, yeah, so that's how I originally got into it. And I've been a manager now for a little over five years as well. Um, yeah, so that's that's how I got here. And, wow. and then New Relic straight to HashiCorp or was there a stop in between? No, so I was at New Relic for a couple of years, and then I worked at uh, Simple. It's an online bank based out of Portland for about a year, and then joined HashiCorp a little over two years ago now. Okay. Okay. And and how's HashiCorp been? I mean, that's a fully distributed team, right? Talk about some of what, what that transition's been. Yeah, it is. Uh, so it's it's very different. Um, so when uh, I, I've 
kind of been gradually going more and more remote. So at New Relic, we were pretty strictly co-located. Um, we had a tiny office up in Seattle for a while, like a tiny team down in Phoenix, but we were mostly the engineering side of the, the business anyway was, was co-located up in Portland. Um, and then after that, when I was at Simple, about 30% of our engineering team there was remote. So we were mostly co-located, but had a pretty sizable portion of our team member that was, that was remote. And at HashiCorp now, we are almost entirely distributed. So um, I want to say there's like maybe 40 people in the office on a good day. Um, so uh, yeah, I think maybe like eight, we're probably doing a quick math in my head, like around like 85 to 90% remote right now, um, mm -hmm. especially in engineering. There's only there's only a handful of us in engineering that work out of the San Francisco office with, with any regularity. Okay. Have you, have you uh, been given any kind of... Uh, like, do they do training or, or give you resources to work with the sort of the remote situation? How are you finding it? Uh, that's a good question. So we don't have a whole lot of formal training, uh, but we do recognize that for a lot of people who this is their first remote gig, they're, they're going to need a lot of like, um, like buddy coaching, you know, if we don't really have anything formal, but we, we do know that there will be a lot of like team working getting people up to speed. Um, I would say as far as from the management perspective goes, I know a lot of people are like, oh, no, like, if you're remote, how can you know your team members are working? Uh, and like, mm -hmm. for, first of all, like, you know, relying on butts and seats is a pretty poor uh, indicator of like what's Definitely. actually getting done. So it, it forces said no you into... manager ever. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so you know, by by virtue of of the setup, it forces you into better management habits anyway, which is which is like that's a good forcing function. Um, and I, I would say honestly, like there's not the the main thing that I find that's different between working uh, with a co-located team and working with one that's entirely distributed. Um, besides time zones, time zones are are hard. Um, for my current team, we're stretched all the way from um, Europe through the U.S. West Coast, so scheduling meetings can be kind of tricky. Um, but the, really the only thing that I find that's mainly different is, um, like establishing those social relationships with your team. Um, so for example, right now with my team, we have what we call water cooler time at nine in the morning, uh, Pacific time. Um, but that's kind of like end of the day for Europe, uh, mm -hmm. where it's just like an optional 15, 20 minute hang. Um, we just set up a zoom. It's yeah, strictly optional. So not the whole team isn't there every single time. But it's at least a little bit of time for us to just like shoot the breeze and talk about what's going on in our lives. Or sometimes we talk about work too, but um, like de deliberately building in time for your team to be a little bit chit chatty. Um, also in like standing team meetings too, we'll take the first few minutes just to chit chat. Um, yeah, that that I would say is probably the, the thing that's most different between um, managing a remote team and managing an in-person team, or at least managing an in-person team really well um, is, is just making sure that you're helping uh, develop that social fabric. Yeah, yeah. So back up a little bit to uh, the first management gig at New Relic. And, you know, what were the things that were a surprise for you coming back into tech and jumping right into leadership? Uh, did, was that a natural transition or did you feel like that was really difficult? And, you know, what were some of the first sort of bumps and hurdles that you learned there that have stuck with you? The, the first story that comes to mind is um, I knew there would be some skills that I would have to... Um, to work on developing that I would probably like, uh, uh, like mess up before getting right. Uh, and one of those was, uh, just how much different your voice, like how, how much more weight your voice carries as a manager compared to when you're an individual contributor. Um, 
there was uh and like i so like i knew this like i had read about this like hey like be careful when you're a manager um like people just like uh, there's just a lot more weight attached to your voice uh, it's easier to accidentally shut team conversations down by expressing your opinion you know sometimes people just go along with it because you're in a leadership position um so be careful of that and so i had had this in my mind like remember kate like your voice carries more weight now don't forget this uh but one of one of my early stories of messing this up was I had a one-on-one -on -one with a team member um, and we were kind of just shooting the breeze about, or at least in my mind, I thought we were just shooting the breeze about um, some improvements that, that might be good to make to some particular service. Um, and then next week, this team member comes back on our one-on-one. -on -one, they're like, oh, I already, I already coded that thing up. And I was like, oh no, like I didn't mean for you to actually go do it. Um, and that's when I, when I remembered that thing about like, oh, right. Like my, I have to be more careful with, with my voice now and make sure that I'm expressing myself clearly. Um, cause yeah, sometimes, um, uh, people will, will take even just, you know, like ponderings as very firm statements. Yeah. Yeah. Or just, yeah. they might, they just want to make you happy. Right. Like that person sure, might yeah. have just been like, well, I'll do this to make the boss think I'm awesome. And you're like, well, <laughs> there's a whole lot more to this process than just coding it up. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and then nobody's happy at the end. Well, it's a good lesson to learn early on. Um, and again, at at, uh, at your first gig back when, you know, given that they were, and they said, we don't need you to have real, you know, quote, real management experience before this role. Did they give you training? Were they uh, able to uh, to provide that? Or were they like, okay, sink or swim? Yeah, that's a really good question. That's actually something that I've been reflecting on a little bit, bit recently. So in, in the job posting, um, it, it made it sound like there was going to be a lot more formal training there mm -hmm. than there was. Um, and at the time, <laughs> at, when I was a wee manager sprout of, you know, one to two years, I was like, man, like, I thought there was going to be more formal training. What have I even learned here? Uh, but now, like some years and a couple companies later, um, I've just been thinking recently about how much I actually did learn there just by being around a lot of other people who were really spectacular managers. Um, I feel like a lot of my management philosophies comes from those early days when I was working at New Relic. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of sink or swim for you, but you had some good uh, examples to work from. Yes. Yeah. yeah that would be okay. a fair characterization. Right. Yeah. Well, that's well good. so what's a, what's a leadership issue you're, you're dealing with today? I mean, something related or do you feel like the problems you see today are the same kinds of problems you were dealing with back then or, or are they different kinds of problems? Is there something you can talk about that's specific to, top of your mind today? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So one thing that I am really excited to get the chance to work on at, at HashiCorp is, um, so I, I really like working at companies that are growing fast um, in that like, you know, small to medium sized business kind of growth phase, early to mid stage startup. Um, and I was really excited to come to HashiCorp because it was kind of a way to uh, like replay the new relic tape. Uh, you know, starting from a smaller size again and growing really fast and yeah. seeing if uh, we could, you know, kind of uh, do some things differently than, than I had seen them done the first time around. Um, and, you know, w one thing that's nice is that with the benefit of, of more um, like seniority and experience is that I'm playing a, a bigger role in helping shape the, the early engineering organization at HashiCorp compared to, you know, pre previous jobs. Um, and so like that's, that's probably the, the main thing that uh, takes up space in my brain as far as like management and leadership questions these days is um, how can you scale an organization, an organization really quickly um, while still maintaining the, the things that make it special and that make it a really good place to work. 
So um, yeah, that's that's the main thing that that's facing me these days. And there's lots of like little tendrils, but that's the main thing. Oh well, let's talk. Let's talk about this because yeah, uh, do you I feel like know, you do, have answers? Is it working? Because <laughs> I feel like <laughs> oh, that's totally, another question. Totally reasonable answer to that question that you asked is no, it's not possible to do that. <laughs> so where are you on this? <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll just kind of talk around a, f- a few of the different like dimensions. Um, so one is hiring, right? If you're, if you're going to be growing really quickly, that means they're going to be hiring really quickly. Um, and there are a lot of ways when you're growing fast to mess this up. Um, different managers may have different hiring standards. Um, uh, also, it can uh, when you're trying to juggle a lot of candidates or at the same time, you can overwhelm your recruiting team and, and you know individuals may not be moving through the pipeline as quickly as you need them to. Um, another thing too is just like uh, the time it takes for an individual manager to uh, make a decision. So uh, this was not this past November, but the one before um, I had been doing it. I was managing two different teams and I had been doing a ton of interviewing and I sat down and just like looked on my calendar to count up how many initial hiring screens I had done. And in the course of like about a month, I think I had done about 40 interviews. Um, and so, yeah. And so when you're doing that many interviews, interviews. yeah, Mm -hmm. you have to take really good notes because, uh, you, you will want to be able to compare and contrast across Mm -hmm. candidates and you won't be able to hold all the details in your brain. Um, (laughs) another thing that I found really helpful for initial, uh, like hiring manager screens is I have, um, like a standard five questions that I'll ask. I usually end up asking other questions too, but there's five questions that I make sure to ask. Uh, most everyone and unless they like really covered it well in their cover letter um, and those five questions I have uh, like I have sat down and uh, been clear with myself about like what does a good answer look like to this question what does a great answer look like to this question um, so that I don't have to sit around after the interview being like well was this answer really good how, how strongly do I feel about moving this person forward like I've already decided before the interview what a good versus great answer looks like and so when I look through my notes I can very quickly decide if this is someone I'm going to move forward or not so you have a lot yeah. of a lot of uh like methodology improvements for the hiring side of the house. And, and these are, are these things that you've just determined on your own or are these being taken up at HashiCorp and you're scaling out the, the recruitment org so as to not overwhelm them or how, how is that working out? Yeah. So there's, there's a few different efforts. So that particular, like, you know, screen kind of rubric that I just mentioned, mm-hmm. that's something that I've shared around with a lot of the other engineering managers. Um, and so it's, it's not like a formal thing that we have, but a lot of people are borrowing pretty liberally from it. Um, one thing that our nomad console and vault teams are doing. So all of our runtime products is that they're starting to do pooled interviews where, um, they will have people sit through a team interview that includes an engineer from each of the different product teams. Um, so that we can interview uh, like uh, a bit more effectively mm-hmm. if it seems you know like we feel one a person a candidate may be a little bit better fit for one product or another um, it's really easy to pivot the interview because we've got someone from all the teams on that circuit <laughs> and then everyone in the room kung fu fights if the candidate is especially awesome yes <laughs> yes that's the world I want to live in oh, okay maybe that's not okay. <laughs> can super relate to the just just tons and tons of interview screens. I remember, uh, you know, two years back, I had interviewed so many people that by the time the team had made a decision on one of the engineers, uh, I had no idea who that person was. And I went back and I read through my notes and and I was definitely a yes and all of these things. But I, I called them to make them the offer, having no idea who they were. Like, like not I have able no to memory of this head. place. Yeah. <laughs> right. And that person is now our CTO. 
So, uh... <laughs> oh, wow. So this is so this are, there's a lot of, of stuff you're working on on sort of the ingest side of the house. Uh, are you what are you doing uh, as a company? Are, are you uh, are you involved in uh, the process of kind of culture management within the, the, the company after people are hired? Yep. Yeah. So there's some there's some juicy stuff going on there too. So um, just recently in December, uh, the engineering management team got together to draft uh, like a levels matrix. Um, like if, for people that don't know what that is, um, Google rent the runway engineering levels matrix, and that will give you kind of the canonical example that a lot of companies have borrowed from in the years since. Mm-hmm. Um, so we I finally put together one ourselves uh, back in December. And have been in the process of rolling that out in, in the last couple of months. Um, another thing that's been happening uh, it, related to it in concert with this is we've been moving from, uh, we're, we're doing like an annual review cycle right now for everyone in the whole company. Prior to this point, we had been giving individuals reviews on their like individual anniversary dates. Mm-hmm. But um, we're about like 450 people or so now as a company. So we're moving to an annual review model. Because um, that's a lot of dates to remember otherwise. It is a lot of dates <laughs> oh, to remember. I swear, and every, co- every company too. goes back and forth with this at least twice. <laughs> <Tell you. laughs> yeah. Anyway, carry yeah. on, I'm sorry. The the other benefit to doing them them yearly um, is in terms of financial planning. Um, like there are, they're not like at Hockey Court, but like I have heard it at other places where sometimes um, like when people will be up for review closer to the end of the financial year, like there's less room for raises mm-hmm. than compared to the beginning of the year. So you, you, um, you know, level the playing field when you're doing everyone at once. That's cool. That's, not, that's something I hadn't yeah. thought of before. Yeah. Yeah, which is really the only reason why I like the the yearly ones. Because other than that, I kind of like just doing everyone on their own individual anniversary dates. But yeah. the, the like the financial planning argument is pretty convincing. Yeah, but the managers get super overwhelmed, right? And if you do three sixties, which a lot of places do, everyone's mm-hmm. like, "Oh, I hate this time of year." <laughs> <laughs> yep, it's been it's been a lot of uh, a lot of review review writing. Uh-huh. Um, but when one thing that uh, I've I've been getting together in recent weeks uh, to, to help with this um, is the idea of like uh, we call them manager study groups at HashiCorp. It's borrowed from an idea uh, from New Relic where we call the mini M's, where it's basically like manager support groups. So you take your management team, you make groups of like four to six managers, um, and then they get together every couple of weeks or so to talk about like just you know uh, issues they're having with team members, um, skill sharing. Um, one of the the most interesting one of those I've ever been in, we just asked each manager to come with notes on like how they manage their own individual workflow, like not their teams, but like how do they track up their own to do's. And that was a really cool uh, yeah. meeting. And during review time, these can help serve as like review draft review team members. So it, in a way, it's like, you know, code review, but for your reviews for your team members to make sure that you're expressing uh, like expectations clearly and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're saying what you intend to say versus how you feel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're yeah. driving me crazy. <laughs> and Kate, so so with regards to this, you're, you've got this process for interviewing and bringing on lots of people. You've got some processes for, you know, getting them into the, into the pipeline smooth. Now you're figuring out, you know, when annual reviews take place, those kinds of things. Do you feel like uh, your team or maybe HashiCorp in general is, is really pretty good at screening who comes in the gates? Or, you know, do you have to fire quickly, relatively regularly when there are people who just aren't a good fit for the company? Or how does that work? There's like so many, so many ways to like, I'm trying to think of a less violent version of, of hurting a cat. There's so many ways to like crumble that cookie, I guess, let's say. Um, 
There so, like, I, I, uh, we have we have been pretty lucky at Hockey Corp, and this keeps me up at night a little bit. Um, luckily, our leadership team hasn't gotten tired of me uh, grumbling about this yet. But I, I think that we've gotten lucky so far in that we've been hiring really well. Um, we have really low turnover. Um, I think part of the reason for that is that uh, on the whole, we tend to be a really thoughtful group. Um, I know I'm like tooting our own <laughs> horn at this point and I apologize, but I, but I like really feel this <laughs> toot toot. Keep going. <laughs> I really feel this strongly though. Um, like it's definitely the best place that I've, that I've yet worked. Um, I, I think we do a good job of screening for people who are very like intellectually pragmatic, right? Like if, um, they have an idea and someone, you know, has a better one, they're very um, open to pivoting to that idea. Um, I think an, another thing too is that since we are remote, we tend to hire people that do well given a pretty high level of autonomy. Um, and then also since we're remote, um, we tend to hire people that are pretty good at proactively um, communicating like status and context and, and things to their team members um, so that like we don't have to go individually tracking down, you know, silos all the time. Um, so I think, you know, like part, Part of why we're doing so well with hiring, I think, is related to the, the fact that we've just like really leaned into uh, having a remote company. Um, but then I think part of it, too, is just like we've we've been really carefully hiring as far as that like intellectual pragmatism aspect mm-hmm. goes. That's, that's cool. Well, and so I, I want to press just a little bit on that. So the company yeah. I work at is also fully distributed. And we, I feel like, have gotten increasingly good at finding people who can do the work. Uh, and the problems with remote work are the people who will do the work, right? And the, and the people who don't work mm-hmm. out, it's it's almost like they end up just going down Reddit rabbit holes all day long or something. How are you vetting for people who will succeed in a remote work uh, environment, especially if you know it's not a requirement, probably because there aren't enough people who have all worked remotely previously? Like, How, how are you screening for who will do the work? Yep, that's a great question. Um, so one of, one of the things that I do ask in my, in my manager screens with people, um, I guess we're sharing all my secrets now. That's okay. One of the things yeah, that I do ask in secrets. my screens, <laughs> <laughs> I do ask people if they've worked remotely before. Um, it's not a requirement. Like we're happy to hire people who haven't worked remotely before. Um, but I do ask candidates to go into their thought process a little bit if they haven't done it before. Um, like, have they thought about what's going to be different? Have they thought about if they're up for it? Um, and, and honestly, usually even just that question, uh, is, is a pretty good indicator. Like, ha- like, has the person really thought through this? Have they talked with other people who have worked remotely before and tried to see if it's going to be a good fit for them too? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that makes sense. Well, so for this next question, I'm gonna I'm gonna we're actually gonna turn and ask Rachel. <laughs> Rachel, Kate has been on this call for you know all of 20 minutes. Uh, if you're guessing, I'm guessing, introvert or extrovert, and then Kate will ask you if uh, if Rachel okay. got it right. Uh, I'm, okay. I'm so the question is: Are you an introvert or an extrovert, and how does it affect your work? And uh, my guess is that you are an extrovert. But okay. I'm usually wrong. Um, <laughs> I think I I think you're like half right. <laughs> no, no, don't, ha- don't you don't so have to I, be nice to me. It's okay. You can tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> well, no, there's um I forget if it's like and I, 
uh, I forget which of the like combos I am. I think I'm what you'd call an extroverted introvert where it's like, I do really crave like social interactions, but I have a battery. And once my battery is spent, I need to go hide in a hole and like not talk to anyone. For and a it while. is also difficult on this show to tell because we're talking to people who are into what we're talking about. Right. So it's not like we're making small talk. Yeah. We're talking about stuff that we're engaged in. And so it's difficult to tell. But, you know, you, uh, it's, it's like I said, it's difficult to tell and I'm usually wrong. So if you're 50-50, okay. <laughs> so um, so in, in this sort of transition you made a few years back into these leadership roles, um, how, what, is your, what is your relationship with authority? Uh, was it different when you were younger? And how do you feel about uh, having authority over people or them having authority over you? Oh, wow. That's a super deep question, but it's a good one. Um, so yeah, so I, as a kid, I was definitely a nerd. Um, and so I was pretty well behaved. And so I think it was pretty easy to keep me in line. Uh, for the most part, I re always really liked my school teachers, but like every few years, there would be one teacher that like could not stand me and I could tell and like, I would not be able to stand them back. Um, and usually these, these were teachers that like, um, there wasn't a lot of room for like, gray area uh so like one good example i had a french teacher in high school um who gave me detention once and anyone who knew me during that time would be like what you got detention uh i she had like asked the whole class it was like the start of class and she had asked everyone to stop talking um but i like hadn't heard her because there had been like kind of a ruckus and i was telling a classmate who had like just gotten back from being out sick about like this paper that she needed to ask our teacher for, like catching her back up on what she missed, right? And I guess like I, the teacher heard me still talking after she had asked everyone to stop talking, and so she was like, "Yeah, you're getting detention." And I was like, "Wait, hold on." I was like, "I'm just like I didn't hear I didn't hear you. I was just telling her about this thing she needs to get from you." And she was like, "Yeah, I don't care. You're staying after school for detention." So it's like that kind of stuff. So I I feel like my relationship with authority is like I am generally pretty fine with authority but as soon as people show them as, as like incapable of being good leaders i just like write them off um <laughs> so you're good with good authority i mean yeah. that's but that's kind of cheating right i mean uh, that's fair yeah you don't have fair. problems questioning it uh is, is what you're saying once if it, if it looks bad yeah. you're gonna be like i don't think this is going okay um yes. and then how do you feel about having authority over other folks hmm. One of the reasons I wanted to become a manager was because I thought I could do better than the people who were already doing it. I was like, I bet I can do a better job than those people. Um, but on yes. the other hand, there's definitely, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this is a common experience. Um, there's definitely a sense of like, well, wait, like who, who am I to tell everyone what to do? Right. Uh, like when you first become a manager and you're like, Oh no, like I'm in charge of, in charge of this now. Um, who, who says I'm the one that has the good ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, l luckily good management means not being the only one with the ideas. So like that works out in the end, if you pick up that skill, but uh, it um, takes people a while though, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Yeah, it does. Um, learning to, uh, I don't, I don't remember where I read this or who, who mentioned this to me, but, um, like someone said, learning to manage effectively is like learning to, uh, like let someone else like to blindfold yourself, even though you're in the driver's seat and like let someone else drive. Um, which mm -hmm. is, which is, I think a, a, a good metaphor um yeah yeah but yeah so it was it was a little bit tricky at first um just settling into the fact that um you know having having more authority and influence um 
But I think one thing that really speaks to me about this work is um, setting an example for what like ethical exercise of authority looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just like exercise of authority, that sounds so, so dark, um, but <laughs> just like, um, you know, using, using that influence for good. Um, yeah. 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 Using, using <laughs> with, with great authority comes <laughs> great responsibility. I don't know. I, I yeah, that, that, that's pretty uh, much it in a nutshell, I think. Uh, yeah, you do, you yeah. do have to think about the power that you have and, and obviously you take it pretty seriously. Cause that was the first thing that you wanted to talk about was this idea that your words are heavier when you are mm-hmm. in leadership and that's important to, to remember. Um, and so, you know, you're, you're still, you're in your path, uh, you're, you're continuing onward. Um, what, what do you think separates a junior leader from a senior leader in terms of skills and abilities and tendencies? I mean, obviously, this idea that you have to be a bit more self-aware, that's definitely a, 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 a milestone to celebrate when someone mm-hmm. figures that out. What are some other milestones and where do you think the senior level arises? One thing that's that's kind of top of mind for, for me recently, um, we've been pulling a lot of people uh, who are new to management into management roles. Um, and so I've, I've been in a position to, to help mentor several people recently, which I, I'm really loving. Um, but it's, it's kind of interesting to get to go back and revisit um, all of these like same challenges that are familiar to me, but like through someone else's eyes, right? Because like we all, we all come to challenges with our own sets of experiences, right? So we have to find our own way through them. Um, one, one thing that uh, separates, yeah, yeah, like junior leadership from senior leadership is the idea of um, learning to work within the system. Um, but at the same time, like not letting it eat you. Uh, so like back to the authority question, right? Like the concept of speaking truth to power, right? Um, like when you're, if, when you're an IC, like, sure, speak truth to power all day long, like go for it, man. Right. Um, but when you're in a management role, um, you aren't going to be as effective if you just want to throw tomatoes at the stage. Um, if you want to actually get things done, you need to learn to work within the system. Um, so one thing that I find myself telling newer managers um, somewhat frequently, especially when um, you know they come from the same kind of strain where they're like, yeah, like ethical leadership, let's make sure things are done well, um, is that they're still in this mindset where it's like, yeah, like I'm going to speak truth to power. That's how, that's how things get done. Um, but like what I have to tell them is like, well, you're part of the machine now, right? Like you're a manager. Um, you are yeah. also part of, part of this thing. And so you also need to work within it, um, and see like other leaders, even people who you yourself are reporting to, those people are still very much your own team members now because you're all part of this like management ecosystem. Um, and so I would say like learning to work within the system to get things done, um, is like that's a really nuanced thing, right? Because you don't just want to become super jaded and just like maintain the status quo. Like that sucks. Um, like you do want to make change, but you need to make sure that you're doing it in a way that like der- is deriving consensus and moving everyone forward together instead of, like I said, just like launching tomatoes at the stage. Uh, yeah. And that this idea of it being about driving consensus, not just mm-hmm. there is a system and you have to work in it, but it's like, this is the yeah. effective way to get things done rather than just jumping up and down on your soapbox on your own. Yeah. 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 Yeah, leaders don't tend to make it very far if they're just screaming all the time. We're doing it wrong. Doing <laughs> right, it wrong. chances yeah. are uh, you're all doing. You're going to find out from your yeah. peers about another place where they're doing the, it wrong in a different way, and you can all work together to to lift everyone's boats. Right? 
Definitely. Yeah. Or when you when you're screaming that they're doing it all wrong and you realize it's all your fault. That's that's <laughs> one of my favorites. Is I, I remember somebody <laughs> getting really angry. Yes. Oh my gosh. I remember. I, I there was an office manager. Uh, at an organization I worked for where, you know, he, he was so angry about the culture of the office and people come in late and they leave early and they do this and they do that. And I don't like the way uh, they dress when they come. I mean, all these like superficial things, but I was like, dude, you're the one that sets all of this precedent. Like every problem we have is your problem. Uh, yeah. But, uh, that's, that's one thing that um, I'll, I'll often give advice to newer managers on is um, when you find yourself frustrated with a team member, start by assuming it's your fault. Like start by looking in your, like your own communications and behaviors and whatever to see like, did you not set enough context for this person? Like, are they working on the wrong thing? Because like you didn't explain it well enough to them. Um, like sure, sometimes it like there are bad actors and sometimes it will, the responsibility will rest with your team member, that's fine. But a really good place to start is if a team member is frustrating you, assume that it's something that you did. Yeah, How did you fail them? Yeah. That's, that's a really like, I think that's unusually profound, even for this podcast. I, I, I hate to say that. But, <laughs> Pretty next level. Uh, that is some next level <laughs> shit. I I agree. Yeah, well, that is some, that is that is some larger than your management life situation kind of right. thing, and uh, people should take that to heart. I think the world would be a better place. There is one yeah. for sure. I really like debugging this with people. Um, one thing that will often happen, like when I'm ha- stepping someone through this, right, is they'll say like, "No, like." Like I've been telling this person that I want like, you know, like daily updates on this thing and I'm still not getting daily updates. Like, why is that? Um, And the key is to always look for uh, like where this person is getting conflicting messages. Um, So maybe like uh, you've asked this person to send you daily messages, but like you haven't really been talking with them about the daily status update. So they just started assuming that you don't care. And so then they stopped doing them. So things like that, um, like trying to figure out where people are. Or that they were succeeding. Yeah. Yeah. These, these, these updates were exactly what they needed to hear. So they no longer care. That's, that's interesting. Well, so, so Kate, let's, let's change directions a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your life outside of work, uh, hobbies outside of work or passions outside of work. What drives you when you're not, uh, in your, I'm going to say nine to five, even if that's not accurate. (laughs) On your Zen mountain, mountaintop of leadership. (laughs) Uh, yeah. So, uh, a few things that, um, are, are, pretty big, um, like, like pretty, pretty meaningful hobbies to me. Uh, I'm super into music. Um, I'm always looking for like new artists to discover and whatnot. Uh, I played piano for a really long time. Um, I don't currently have a piano in my current apartment because it's very tiny because San Francisco rent is ridiculous, but that's okay. Um, I got myself a ukulele instead. So I'm teaching myself ukulele. Um, Whoa. yeah. So that's, that's awesome. yeah, it's, it's also very relaxing. You can just like bust it out for a couple of min- minutes in between meetings. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. so so give us a, a band or an album or two that you're listening to right now that you're really enjoying. Oh, Snap. That's a good question. Um, two, a couple of albums. I thought Snap was the name of the band. Oh, no, first. sorry. I, I literally <laughs> paused for a second and I was like, oh, that was right off the top of your head. That's, Keep going. Uh, yeah. So uh, I was just at a conference last week um, and had to do a bit of driving to get there and back. Um, and I rediscovered some of my old beloved road trip music. Uh, so right now I'm on a bit of a spoon kick. Um, just kind of like all their albums. I love all their stuff really. Um, and one album that I, for clarity, spoon is the name of the band. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I heard them, I heard them on a, 
what's that what's the NPR show on wait wait don't tell me one time and one of their hosts uh-huh. asked them is is it spoon like the utensil or spoon like the verb and supposedly they named themselves after the utensil not the verb and the host was like well that's disappointing spooning the verb is pretty great maybe maybe you should have called yourself after that <laughs> why not both <laughs> why not <laughs> yeah um, that's awesome yeah so so been on a bit of a spoon kick lately um another uh one album that i've been listening to a bit recently to try to decide how i feel about it is uh it's the latest local natives album i don't even i'm gonna pull it up because i don't even remember it's the blue one with the plant on the front i don't remember i have no idea well that'll be enough uh, way outside yeah that should should be enough to keep us quite busy thank you Excellent, excellent. And do you, uh, speaking of of ukulele players, um, have you heard of Molly Lewis? I haven't. Ah, she is an awesome ukulele player and writer of songs and uh, adaptations to ukulele. So I recommend you look her up on YouTube or the internet in general. Cool. Rachel, aka Pie Bob, from her DJ days. So <laughs> I, you brought up music; it was going to go here. Oh yeah, yeah, because ukulele anyway. music is totally um, in my uh, in my set of things to play at raves and at the roller derby. <laughs> I know, Rachel. I've listened to your stuff. That's right. Uh, <laughs> well, so, and Kate, uh, one other personal question: How how has becoming a leader affected your personal life, and has it done so negatively or positively? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I um. I, I I like a strong statement. I think that um, if you become a manager and you are not personally transformed by it, I'd say you're doing it wrong. Um, wow. Another, another like from the mountain type of, yeah, I agree with you. It's totally accurate. I feel like a lot of the um, uh, things that I've had to learn in order to be a, a better manager are, are things that have made me a better person and my um, personal relationships have benefited from from that work um and and honestly like that's a pretty nice side benefit to a job right where it's like yeah this is mm-hmm. what I do for my day job but it's also making me a lot happier as a person like that's pretty great yeah yeah awesome do you, can you think of specific things that you're you've changed about the way that you interact with folks in your personal life one thing that I've always been drawn to but didn't have the toolkit for but now now that I do I suppose is uh making space uh helping people feel comfortable with uncomfortable conversations mm-hmm. right so like as a manager there are a lot of times you're going to have to deliver tough feedback or you know like even let someone go or disappoint someone because maybe they're not getting the raise that they were hoped for um so there are lots of times where you're walking into a conversation and it could feel uncomfortable but it doesn't necessarily have to if you know how to like hold the space for that conversation and help put like both of you at ease um, and so I feel like that's something that I have definitely taken back to my personal life as well, um, where, you know, instead of like shying away from conversations and just like tacitly letting distance accumulate between people or like grumpiness accumulate between people, it's like, let's just talk about it. Like, we're two humans, we're capable of this, let's just sit down and have a conversation. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes it's just awkward. Sometimes it's just hard and you have to get <laughs> through it, right? But but yeah, having that, um, and I, I feel the same about uh, preparing for those conversations and helping people prepare so that they get what they're hoping to get out of the conversation, out of the interaction with the other person, uh, has been super useful. Um, and the, that book, Crucial Conversations, which I think I've mentioned a couple of times, that kind of lesson changed my life. And I can totally see how, you know, that kind of thing can change other people's lives as well. So thanks. Thanks for sharing mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. Conversations um, aren't important. 
Everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, Kendall. It's only yeah. about yeah, beard no, care. No, no, only. No, no. only. Yeah, that's. Oh, see. Yes. Now this is where this podcast needed to go. Um, <laughs> well, so so Kate, if uh, money were no object, what would you do with your life? Would would you uh, leave the Bay Area and play ukulele on a mountaintop, or what's what's uh, what what would you do? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, if money were no object, I would probably, I'd want to travel more. Uh, mm-hmm. Although I think I, I wouldn't want to like do that indefinitely. Like I wouldn't want to visit a new country every month until I die. Like I think I, I like having somewhat of a stable home base. Um, I, I might go the music route instead. Like I did study some music in college and was seriously considering a career in music composition. And maybe I would just like change gears and do that with the second half of my life. I don't know. Wow. Oh. Composition like like sitting down and writing orchestral pieces yeah, uh, or yeah. orchestral yeah oh yeah. okay wow that's interesting oh. I think I could uh, be a pretty successful like like C level movie composer oh wow <laughs> so not like pop music and not like I mean are you are you writing music with your ukulele currently um uh, yeah I have been getting back into it now that I have something that I can tinker around on a little bit yeah I have been yeah they're super nice and portable we have one in the office as well. <laughs> I had a music theory teacher in high school who made all of his money off of random Christmas medleys that he had put together and he just sold a fortune worth of those. Uh, so <laughs> I, I just always assumed all the money in composition was in Christmas medleys. Well, way to murder every possible ounce of joy that could have come out of that. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. Joy to Clearly the world. I'm in a mood I'm getting wealthy off of Christmas music. I don't know. I tried. Oh, that'd be um, super cool though. I would, and uh, then you could design a label and you could, you know, do all sorts of, of stuff related to your, to your releasing of music. Yeah. That's really oh, groovy. Well, so Kate, for, for time's sake, we're going to wrap up here, but uh, where can people find you on the internet if they want to hear more? Yes. Uh, people want to find me online. I'm on Twitter. I'm at Q Kate. That's at Q K A T E. Um, and I yell there a lot about leadership and management. So you can catch my yelling there. <laughs> Sweet. We like yelling, obviously. <laughs> well, Thank thanks so much, much for being with us. Yeah. yeah, that was awesome. Thank you as well.